if, if you go back to his childhood, Spurgeon had an aunt who, if I remember correctly, promised him a penny for every hymn or psalm he memorized from Watts' collection. Now, she had not at that point gauged what a memory he had. Um, and she found that this impoverished her perhaps a little more than she'd anticipated. Welcome back to another episode of Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And in today's episode, we are joined by special guest Jeremy Walker. We are diving into the heart of Spurgeon, the pastor and the hymn writer, as well as discussing why pastors should be writing songs like they did in the good old days. Plus, we even get to hear a Jeremy Walker original hymn. Stick around to the end to hear it. But first, uh, if you're listening on YouTube, hit subscribe and ring the bell so that you're notified whenever we drop a new episode. We're also available anywhere that you like to get your podcasts. But if you don't want to leave contact up to dodgy algorithms of social media, you can head on over to himpartial.com to sign up for our free weekly newsletter, where we will deliver our news straight to your inbox, plus bonus content you can't get anywhere else. So we're really, really excited, um, as we always are, for our guests. We're very excited to um, play this interview for you with Jeremy Walker. Um, we honestly definitely need to have him back. We didn't even scratch the surface on some of the stuff that we discussed with him. Um, he is so very, very knowledgeable about Charles Spurgeon. And if you don't know who that is, definitely listen to this episode and check out some of the links that we have in the description. Um, you will be really encouraged by it, I think. Yep. Yeah. Um, it was wonderful talking to Jeremy and it was wonderful getting to tap into some of his extensive knowledge, not just about um, Spurgeon, but about hymns and hymnody and all of that. It was really encouraging and we hope that it encourages you too. So without further ado, here's the interview. Jeremy Walker studied English language and literature at the University of Leicester before working for five years for the Ministry of Defence in London. During these periods, God formed in his heart a desire for the ministry of the word. In 2003, he was recognised as a pastor of Maiden Bower Baptist Church, Crawley, where he continues to serve. He is married to Alyssa, with whom he enjoys the blessing of three children. He has authored several books and is grateful to preach, to teach, and to write as opportunity provides. Jeremy Walker, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, and thank you for having me. It's a delight. So to start, would you mind just telling us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and how you became a Christian? Um. Well, if there's much to add to that to that bio, um, I uh, I live in Crawley in West Sussex, where I'm a pastor of a church, Maiden Bower Baptist Church. We're a uh, depending on which label you like to use to pigeonhole us. We're a confessional, reformed, particular Calvinistic Baptist <laughs> church. Um, uh, I've been serving as the pastor here now for uh, nearly twenty years. Um, I I was converted during my teenage years, having been brought up in a Christian home. Mm. I, I kicked quite hard against the goads, um, mm. but the Lord was pleased uh, to humble me, uh, bring me low um, and uh, low enough to realize my need of Christ 
uh, low enough to realize that I couldn't contribute anything to my own salvation, far from it. Um, and then was pleased to uh, grant me over time both clearer views of Christ and then uh, a growing sense of uh, assurance of salvation. And, and really then out of a sense of the, the kindness and the goodness of God uh, wrestling through uh, what it meant for me to serve him, uh, what it meant for, for my life to be uh, a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, what was my reasonable service. And so for me, um, I at least had to answer the question whether or not the Lord is calling me to, to be a preacher and a teacher. And uh, with, the, with the assistance of the church, I am currently answering that question in the affirmative. <laughs> yeah, oh, I've, um, I've heard you preach before. You've been up at our church. I think you've done our youth conference before and it was, right. it was really, really good. So good. I'm glad God called you. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Um, and as we mentioned in your bio, you're, you're busy uh, doing what the Lord has called you to do in many, many ways, including mm -hmm. authoring several books. Um, can you tell us a little bit about your new, your new book about Spurgeon um, and where and when people can get it? Um, well, th this is, this is a, a work in progress. Um, one of the things uh, I didn't add, add particularly, uh, should have mentioned my, my wife, Alyssa, my three children, uh, Caleb, William and Keris. Uh, they have to put up with a great deal, uh, amongst which is some of my little uh, investments and pastoral pursuits and projects, one of which has been to, uh, to, to read through and encourage others to read through uh, the sermons of Charles Haddon Spurgeon. Now, we've been doing that since the beginning of this year. It's a long-term project. It's 10, 10 years, more or less, uh, to get through the whole, uh, the, the normal sort of published series wow. but most most people aren't going to read a sermon a day recognize <laughs> that so each week uh, we select a featured sermon trying to give a, a representative sample of Spurgeon at his best as a preacher of Jesus Christ to the to the to the church and uh, calling in those who are lost mm. and um, Monet's husband actually Daniel said to me uh it would be great if we could collect those featured sermons so that from each year, because each of the uh, the volumes of sermons is, a, is more or less a calendar years of sermons. If we could collect the sermons from that year, uh, edit them nicely, put them between covers and make those available so that people could say, hey, I may not have read every sermon, but I have read a representative sample year on year and over the course of these years, I've I've come to uh, really uh, hopefully get a get a grip on on these things. So uh, each volume, probably usually between eight or nine sermons, uh, selected out to to give the 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 cream of Spurgeon as a, a preacher and teacher of the good mm -hmm. news of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now uh, Daniel's not been well. Uh, he's worked superbly on these things. Done a magnificent job. Uh, but we've uh, we're we're close to the end of preparing the first volume, and that should give us a foundation if if God helps us to do to do more following. 
That's really great. I mean, I know I find it very difficult to, because there's there's so much good stuff out there that sometimes it's difficult to know where to start. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do want to read more Spurgeon, but he wrote so much that it's yeah. really helpful having a sort of starter volume. Yeah, so we're going to try and do those hard yards. Um, and it's, you know, <laughs> you, you might have chosen something else. Uh, somebody else might say, oh, I would have chosen this. I would have chosen that. But we hope that over time, somebody who says, I, I really want a taste of Spurgeon across the board. And we're going to try and make sure as well that um, as as you see his life advance with some of its ebbs and flows and the particular challenges and opportunities that God gave him, um, and also some of the uh, the harder periods, especially uh, sickness and, and spiritual battle, uh, mm. that that will be fully reflected in the selection. Yeah. That's really great. Um, so C.H. Spurgeon is a hero in the faith for Baptists worldwide, but especially in the UK, he's a really well-known um, preacher. But for those who aren't familiar, um, can you tell us who he was and why his ministry is so important and impactful today? Okay, I'm going to try and not take up the rest of your podcast with with a <laughs> With stuff about Spurgeon, I mean, we, we've already mentioned it. We've just, you know, the name rolls off our tongues at least. He's he's just Spurgeon, Charles mm-hmm. Haddon Spurgeon. He was um, born in a little village in Essex called Kelverdon uh, in 1834. Um, he went to live with his grandparents. Uh, his grandfather was a preacher, uh, a pastor in, in another little village. And that's where Spurgeon really had some of his most formative instruction from his early years. He was a lover of the best of Puritan literature. He was a prodigiously gifted child uh, and and into his adulthood. Uh, Phenomenal memory, real uh, ease of ease of speech, uh, precocious as as a little boy. Uh, Some lovely anecdotes about him growing up there in this village of Stambourne. Uh, but then uh, when he was back in, in Colchester, uh, living again with his parents, uh, he came under profound conviction of sin and was uh, wonderfully converted on one uh, wintry day uh, when he turned into a, a, a little chapel because uh, he couldn't get to where he was trying to go. And he heard a, a man preaching inexpertly, it must be said, on the text, <laughs> look to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And uh, shortly after that, having come to convictions that he should be baptized as a believer, uh, he was baptized in the River Lark in Cambridgeshire. Um, soon after that, became known as the boy preacher of the Fens uh, in his in his teens. He was going out to preach the good news in, in farms and villages, um, then called to a, a little village called Water Beach, uh, where really that was the first time he saw uh, extended and uh, really quite dramatic blessing upon his ministry. The village was transformed as he preached the gospel. Mm. Um, And then from there, he was called to minister at a church in London called the New Park Street Chapel, uh, standing in the footsteps of uh, men like Benjamin Keach and John Rippon and John Gill. Um, And uh, there was a season then as he went into London he was despised as this country bumpkin who didn't have anything to say, a bit of a, uh, a nitwit, really. Um, 
But uh, so funny. <laughs> you know, oh, he 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 faced a lot of opposition, both from within and without the 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 church. Um, but but he also, you know, with God's blessing, um, uh, and and God had equipped him to be a, a lively, vigorous, engaging preacher of the gospel, and many people were delighted to to hear that. And uh, he became then the pastor of what I think was then probably the largest congregation. Uh, certainly in in Europe and America, and eventually they they built the Metropolitan Tabernacle to house a congregation of some five thousand people, and and he he wasn't just a preacher. I mean that that sounds you know how can you be just a preacher anyway? But um, he became he just had such a zeal for Christ, such a mm-hmm. an energy and a drive. I think he wore himself out early. Mm-hmm. Um, but he served God in so many wonderful ways, um, preaching, teaching, uh, serving, caring for the needy, um, and then eventually um, became embroiled in what was called the downgrade controversy, which was a reflection of the drift towards liberalism that was uh, crippling churches in the Victorian period, crept mm-hmm. into the Baptist Union, and uh, Spurgeon and, and those close to him believed that his stand for the truth was what really eventually broke his health and led to his death mm. in 1892. Wow. Uh, but he, it, it's, it's easy to talk about Spurgeon because he was a 10 talent guy, 10 mm-hmm. talent man. Mm-hmm. But Spurgeon loved to speak of Christ and all that God had given him, he was delighted to consecrate, consecrate on the altar of service to the Lord Jesus. And yeah. that's really why we should uh, at least take note of him and be grateful to God for his ministry because he was preeminently a preacher of Jesus Christ. Uh, some people call him the Prince of Preachers. Yeah. And it's it's that gift and the way he invested it that really makes him worthy of our attention. We we like Spurgeon because Spurgeon shows us Jesus Christ. Yes. Yes. Yeah, that's that's definitely. I mean, obviously, there's loads of stuff that you just said I didn't know about him, but one thing is for sure when when the name Spurgeon comes up, especially in in Reformed Baptist circles, um, there's much to say on how uh, powerful um, how powerfully the the Lord worked through him when he spoke of mm. the things of the Bible and you know, many people look up to him like, that's, that's who I want to be, you know, in terms of, um, how I, how I proclaim the Lord with boldness and and with conviction. And yeah. And yet Spurgeon himself would say that he wouldn't have bothered crossing the road to hear himself preach. (laughs) He did have a sense of humor. Well, some of us (laughs) were obliged to say that we would cross the road to avoid hearing ourselves preach. (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, some people might be asking, hey, Monet, Cara, this is a show about church music. Why are you talking about Spurgeon? Um, well, as I discovered through my husband and, and your guys' work on, on, on these series of books, um, is that he actually quotes a lot of hymns in his sermons. I, I guess I wanted to hear from you. Is this helpful for the listener? And should preachers today do the same thing Spurgeon Spurgeon is in many respects a truly literary man and he comes from 
what we might consider a more literary age. He quotes both poetry and hymnody. And obviously there's a, there's an overlap between those. Um, I mean, he knows his poets like George Herbert. That seems to come up quite a lot. Um, in the congregation to which he went initially, there were two hymn books available to him, uh, two of the kind of standard dissenting hymn books. Uh, there was Watts's Psalms and Hymns, and then there was Rippon's collection. And uh, if, if you go back to his childhood, Spurgeon had an aunt who, if I remember correctly, promised him a penny for every hymn or psalm he memorized from Watts' collection. Now, she had not at that point gauged what a memory he had. Um, and she found that this impoverished her perhaps a little more than she'd anticipated. But not only did that. So he had a, he had a great memory. He had a trained memory, an exercised memory. And one of the things on which that excess memory had been trained and exercised was memorizing psalms and hymns. So from his youth, he had this great deposit of hymns. Um, now, eventually, he got frustrated with trying to get people, especially with the number of visitors who were coming, to get used to the fact that you now need to look in this hymn book for this hymn and then pick up the other one. And, and get. So he, com he compiled his own hymn book called Our Own Hymn Book. It's a beautifully mm -hmm. twee Victorian title for it. <laughs> Very, very Spurgeon. He himself was a, a poet and a hymn writer, and some of his are in that collection. But he's got then this deposit that he's drawing on. And th there's, again, it, it's of his time, but he has this beautiful facility to select either lines or verses, couplets, or sometimes a couple of verses back to back that pick up, communicate, and carry home the particular truth that he's talking about. Now, it's worth bearing in mind that for Spurgeon, almost invariably, these are going to be off the cuff references. Um, his notes tended to be quite brief and to the point. So these are things that are coming to mind as he is preaching. And on some levels, they break up the sermon. Mm -hmm. uh, they, they, they tend to enforce his points. They often come in at moments of uh, high emotion as a way either of expressing uh, the particular doctrine that he's trying to capture or the affections and the experience that he's trying to communicate. So, yeah, I think um, I, I do think it's helpful. Um, it's hard. It's hard to get the effect um, in, in just reading the sermon. Um one of the things we're doing with this Spurgeon reading series is a is a podcast called From the Heart of Spurgeon, where we mm -hmm. analyze that featured sermon each week. But what we also try and do from time to time is what we call a lively reading, where we mm -hmm. just read a whole Spurgeon sermon. Um, it, we're not trying to act it. Mm -hmm. uh, we're not trying to uh, perform it. But when you do that, you really get a sense of the ebbs and the flows of his language. Mm -hmm. And that's where the poetry really comes alive. If you hit a, poet, a piece of poetry or a piece of hymnody as you're reading it, you, you, you get this sense. You know, Spurgeon sort of lifts off into a couple of verses or he, he grasps for a couple of, of, of particular uh, lines that, that really capture what he's trying to say. Now, his, mm. his favorite hymn 
is uh is top lady um his favorite lines nothing in my hand i bring simply to thy cross i cling now he quoted this so much he had a yet there was a man who listened to him he used to write him a letter of criticism uh <laughs> tell, telling him what was wrong with his, <laughs> with his sermons um and uh one of the things he said was that you you quote top lady too much um nothing in my hand i bring simply to thy cross i cling mr spurgeon we are all sufficiently persuaded of the vacuity that is the emptiness of your hands so the next time spurgeon <laughs> preached he, he quoted this man's letter and, and said but how can i not and then quoted those lines again from augustus montague top lady yeah so he, he does have some particular hymns and some particular authors to whom he seems to go more often but he's also got quite a range that he can draw on at will to to really drive home and to carry into the the conscience and the experience the truth that he's preaching on yeah that's incredible i, I i'm still amazed that his auntie paid him <laughs> to memorize those hands. yeah but it's it's great i i told that story in a in a church service once and i saw all the eyes of the kids light up with average <laughs> So we 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 struck a deal. We 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 had to stop it during lockdown because it wasn't so fair on them. But every month I would appoint them either a, a hymn or a psalm or a portion of scripture, and every kid who could repeat it word perfect at the end of the month would get a pound. Mm. And every month, the last Sunday, I'd have somewhere between five and fifteen kids who'd come, and they were getting these hymns and psalms and texts yeah. of scriptures. And you know, I trust they may not have Spurgeon's gift. But that's got to be getting, I hope, into the long-term memory. I, I think it's a wonderful exercise. Yeah. And, and yes, I do think without being artificial and without being um, uh, repetitive, yeah, I think this is a good thing for preachers to do today. Um, yeah. And perhaps to, 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 to do some of the, the wonderful, the, 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 the rich heritage of our hymnody, which is sometimes in danger of being lost, yeah. um, you know, we, I don't think we realize how much theology we learn from hymnody. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, it, it sticks sometimes in a way that other things don't. Mm. And so it's vitally important that what we sing is the best. Yeah. It's um, substantially and stylistically. Um, it's clear. It's rich. It's deep. It's accurate. So preachers quoting hymns like this to make their point mm -hmm. it, it could become tiresome so you don't want to overdo it but yeah mm -hmm. i certainly think um that it has any number of, of benefits and blessings from how you describe it it kind of sounds like it was an extension of spurgeon's praise like as he was preaching that you know he would recall a bit of a song that he had memorized and kind of just throw it in there for yeah his preaching very really like i mean he sometimes he's i mean it, it's not broken out in the written sermons but there are points where he's praying as he's preaching mm -hmm. he's calling upon god as he's preaching and and sometimes yeah you get the sense this is almost the overflow of his soul mm -hmm. it's it's delightful mm. it's one of the things that made him so great yeah and he was he was a deeply affectionate man um he he repeatedly refers to the fact 
that he 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 weeps in prayer over the saints he often refers to the fact that he is weeping as he preaches mm. uh he's yeah he's deeply moved by both the gospel that he preach preaches and the 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 circumstances condition and needs of the people to whom he's preaching it so yeah this this stuff is sort of bubbling up in him and poetry seems to be for him hymnody one of the natural expressions of his communion with god so you mentioned that he put together a hymn book yeah um can you tell us a little bit about that um what does the selection of hymns kind of reveal about Spurgeon the pastor and the hymn writer and the theologian? Oh, that's, that's a fantastic question. Um, and you know, you could almost do a whole podcast on that alone. Um, <laughs> I, I actually think that if, if you obliged me to choose one English language hymn book from say the last three or 400 years, um, and only one that I could rely upon, I might be tempted to go for our own hymn book. And, and that's not just a reflection of the fact that I, I appreciate Spurgeon. It has a complete Psalter in it, which is great. Um, now Spurgeon is a, what he calls this, a spirit of the Psalms man. So he's not, um, bound to, uh, a sort of a metrical Psalter approach with a, a much more, uh, faithful translation of the words he would say he's being faithful to the sense and he he wants to make the person and work of jesus explicit by name and by mm -hmm. detail on the surface of the psalms now i know that exclusive psalmodists would say well he already is explicit in the psalms spurgeon wants to to join the dots up as it were um, so you'll get some metrical psalms but you'll also get um, psalms where there's this, this unashamed declaration of, of, of Jesus of Nazareth as the fulfillment of those things. Mm -hmm. And then the, the breadth of it, the richness of it, the balance of it, um, without wanting to sound pernickety, I think while this hymn book is, is as imperfect as any other human creation, a lot of other hymn books is, oh, well, it, it doesn't have much on this or it lacks a little bit on that or it's, uh, you know, weak on the person of the Holy Spirit or, mm. um, you know, it's, it's shallow with regard to this aspect of experience. You know, there are, there are some hymn books that are very strong on um, you know, their, 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 their sense of Christian experiences is passive, mm. um, whereas Spurgeon while expressing an utter dependence upon God has some wonderful hymns of, of service and endeavor. It's Trinitarian richness is superb. It's his awareness of the person and ministry of the Holy spirit is I think wonderfully represented here. Okay. Uh, there's a, there's a very accurate uh, Baptist, if you like theology of the ordinances hymns to do with the lord's table and baptism are wonderfully represented mm. uh, a rich ecclesiology that reflects mm. his baptist convictions is uh, yeah it's the, the the breadth the balance the variety the emphasis i i think as as a collection with the psalms in their entirety 
with this wonderful range of of hymns uh appended to it it's it's a i think it's a splendid collection and it reflects mm. the best of that heritage you know you've got watts you've got ripon mm. you've got uh, grasping the, the cream of the past and with his gifts you know he's got this all at his fingertips it seems wow now I think we're gonna have to have you uh, back on to talk just about that <laughs> about that hymnal in detail. Um, but I think I think what you've discussed here it it kind of points us towards a subject that we we mention often, and you yourself being a pastor and knowing a lot about this pastor Charles Charles Spurgeon. I guess we notice a lot of hymns of old were often pinned by pastors in full time ministry. Yep. What what do you think, why do you think that's gone out of style and how can we kind of recapture that in our modern day? Well, I, I think it's fairly well-known fact that the Holy Spirit stopped helping anybody to write decent hymns sometime <laughs> at the end of the 19th century. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's probably the answer. Um, I, 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 th- I think it's a, uh, I know, I know people can't see the wry look on my face when I say something <laughs> like that. <laughs> One of our problems is, I think, that we get caught in a battle between uh, antiquity and novelty. Mm. Um, and we almost forget the question of quality. Mm. We are not a particularly, I mean... I feel free to argue with me if you wish i don't think we're a particularly poetic living in a particularly poetic age our grasp of language and literature is not what it has been historically at least in in the country in which we're living mm. um so i i don't think we we are living in a particularly high age theologically either um you know spurgeon is a man of calvinistic conviction uh of deep understanding, well-versed in uh, history, church history, historical theology, uh, doctrinal uh, theology of a broadest kind, a pastor's heart, a poet's soul. He is well-equipped. Now, what's interesting, Spurgeon is deliberately archaic. If you read some of his hymns, honestly, the language ties you in knots. The poetry is beautiful. The, the sentiments are wonderful. The doctrine is superb. But you sort of think that's not making it very easy for most of us to sing. You know, Spurgeon was, was deliberately a little bit old-fashioned at points. Mm. Um, but, you know, he's he's not ashamed to use, uh, to, to, to communicate these things in, in hymns and poems of his own. Mm. Now, that that blend of theological understanding, experimental depth, and poetic ability is extremely rare today, mm. and it's sadly been hived off into professional songwriters mm. creating songs for albums rather mm. than pastors and preachers who are writing hymns for congregations. Yeah. Yep. Now, that doesn't have to be opposed to each other, mm-hmm. um, but it, 
it, it often means that you've got these two strands. You know, we're talking about, oh, yeah, I, I probably don't need to, but, you know, there's more that rhymes with love than dove. Um, <laughs> you know, it's, and, and the, the, the range. Yeah. You know, if, if you've got some of these, um, well, you, you think of Spurgeon's uh, communion hymn. Amidst us our beloved stands and bids us view his pierced hands, points to his wounded feet and side, blessed emblems of the crucified. What food luxurious loads the board when at this table sits the Lord, the bread how rich, the wine how sweet, when Jesus deigns his guests to meet. I mean, it's and, and over six verses, mm-hmm. you know, you don't need a chorus and you've got mm-hmm. more to work with. You can develop themes. You can introduce a, a, a certain balance. You can get a sense of progress and development. Mm-hmm. And, and, and some of those things which are missing in a lot of our more shallow modern hymnody are present in some of the great hymns of the past. Mm-hmm. And there's, there's no reason under God why some of us who are pastors and preachers should not seek to cultivate that skill so that mm-hmm. we can serve the church not with something that just seems or sounds old, but something that represents that glorious stream mm-hmm. of, of sung theology, sung worship mm-hmm. that is uh, truly congregational, mm-hmm. theologically accurate, experimentally deep. Um, there's, there's stuff out there. And, and I think we have a, um, we, we have a duty to, to cultivate that skill. Mm-hmm. It's a holy art. We should pray for it. Wow. You know that I never thought about that, you know, praying for it, but it, it is something that is, it feels like it's missing. I feel like you, you really will. Um, you have articulated well, what I seem to not be able to do um, the, the gap in that it has kind of been split off into a profession, which mm. there are fantastic professional hymn writers out there today. We've had some of them on our show. We appreciate what they're doing. Um, But you read these biographies of like, you know, John Newton and stuff. And it's like, well, he was just sat in his study, I guess, like, oh, I need a hymn for Sunday. And like, just would scribble something down and, you know, pass it over on on Sunday and be like, okay, play, play to this meter. We're just going to sing it. And And that seems to be like a more natural kind of, I don't want to say natural, but a more organic way to praise the Lord because he's been studying this passage of scripture for however long to bring it to the congregation. And then he says, here's a song. It's pastoral. Exactly. It's not a performance. Exactly. It is, it is, you know, if you, if you think of the new Testament, data with regard to our sung worship it goes in two directions we sing up to god we sing out to one another mm. and and newton and other pastors like him are writing mm. so that this congregation can praise god responding in their own environment to what god is saying to them and doing with them and then you know, they're admonishing one another they're communicating mm. that truth to one another um mm. so you know I, and i i frankly get a little fr- I, I, I try and write hymns myself. Mm. I get frustrated with people who complain about everything that's wrong and we never try and put it right. Yeah. So, just, just what you described, Monet, you know, we, I, I needed a, a paraphrase of a Psalm. 
and I couldn't find anything that fitted. So we had to write one. And um, we had a, a dear lady who'd been a member of the church for a number of years. Um, and I was, uh, I was with her the day or the day before that she died. And, you know, I, I, I wrote a hymn that I hope we'll be able to maybe sing. Um, or yeah, there, there are, there are, there are, in, in our hymn book, there are things that I think need to be represented. So mm-hmm. I can I can update material from old mm-hmm. hymn books that we can then use. But I want to I want to mine the riches of the past and represent mm-hmm. the best of that tradition in terms of the, mm-hmm. the contribution that that I make. But we also need people who are going to write music that congregations can sing. You know, yeah. musical range that works with those simple rhythms and mm-hmm. and repeated patterns that normal people can get their voices around Mm -hmm. I think maybe part of the problem is that no matter how devoted and talented um, a professional musician is and no matter how their own motives are right there's always going to be that pressure kind of in the background of the producers and the record label that you're signed with who basically need to make money Mm -hmm. Um, and I think maybe that that doesn't help either because it, it kind of detracts from the yeah the pastoral issue yeah, yeah. there's a, there's a, there's a different and i would say you know perhaps more distinct pressure no one's no one's paying me for the stuff that i write but if i'm going to ask the congregation to sing something i am putting in the mouths of numbers of men and women words by which we intend to praise God and instruct mm. one another. Yeah. That's a different kind of pressure. I mean, you mentioned Newton Monet. He's he's writing hymns every single week. Yeah. Now, if you look at the only hymnal, you you know, you you say, yeah, there's 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 a variety of quality here. Yeah. <laughs> but over time, the cream has risen to the surface. Mm. We expect yeah. that that will happen today as well. We we appreciate that. Um I mean, I, I know of the things that I've tried to write. I can sit there and say, hey, some of this is, I hope, better, but some of it is definitely worse. There are, there are some things that we would sing as a congregation here, and there are other things I think, boy, that needs work before it ever sees the light of day. It's almost like culturally, too. I know this happened once um, at my at my church that I was saved in back in California. Um, we... Uh, the person who led us in song uh, was an elder, um, not the main teaching elder, but he was an mm. elder of the church. And, and one Sunday he, he turned up and he said, um, oh, yeah, um, you know, Pastor Matt asked me to um, find a song about a certain topic. And uh, I, di- I didn't really know any. So I wrote this and and I was like, what? You wrote this, <laughs> you know, it was kind of like such a shock, like, wow, we're singing like your creation. And it's like, I don't even think most of our churches have that culture where we would even expect one of the elders to turn up and have us sing something that they wrote. It's like, and, and wow, it can, this is a novelty, you know. <laughs> yeah, and it, it can be tough because because we live in a performance culture. Mm-hmm. I mean, one one of the things we've got to kind of get over is the fact that it can it can feel like we are promoting ourselves, mm-hmm. um, and 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 that's very much not not the case. No, um, or it shouldn't be. It could be. Yeah. Um, it it could be. You know, here's 
I'll, I'll pour you, you. You can cut this out if you want. <laughs> do, do you want to hear the the psalm version I wrote or that hymn that I wrote in the light of this this sister's death? Yes, yeah, absolutely. We'd love to. Which one do you want? Uh, the mm. one that you wrote for your for that that sister's passing, I think is yeah yeah. I'm sorry because sorry. it has. And no, I was just going to say the same thing because it illustrates the point of the pastoral context. You yeah. had this specific situation and that's what it was for. Okay. Yeah. Right. So this is, um, this was written last year. Um, my day is drawing to an end. The light of life grows dim. My thoughts to Christ all sweetly tend for soon I'll be with him. I must put off this feeble tent, but death itself defy. My soul released, I'll make ascent to be with Christ on high. The sufferings of this present time soon swallowed up in love. Out of this pain and darkness climb, glory to come above. My soul with him in perfect joy will wait the coming morn. I know that nothing can destroy the hope of that new dawn. In Christ, most happy and most blessed, a body new I'll take. And all be peace, delight and rest when in his form I wake. And much that I have known below. She'll quickly fade away, but life in Christ I'll ever know in God's eternal day. It's beautiful. I'd sing that. Yeah, it's hard to be moved by that. (laughs) We we have that to the tune Belmont. You know, this this was a lady who loved, she loved flowers. Uh, She loved her garden Mm -hmm. and sitting by her bedside as she was, uh, suffering and hours away at that point from death, uh, which I feared but wasn't sure of. You know, when I knew that she had been called home, again, some of that. You know, I, I want it to be theologically accurate, but mm-hmm. it's it's a reflection of um, the things that we spoke about as she contemplated eternity with Christ in the light of the pain that she was going through at that time. Yeah. So. Um, you know, you want it to come out of those. It 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 may seem a little bit of a a semi sentimental or semi mystical approach, but I I do I do think there's a there's a, there's a very small eye measure of inspiration. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you you want the help of the Holy Spirit to capture something of truth mm-hmm. in a way that expresses the. The, the the present circumstances and the shared experience of God's people. Yeah. And I think these are the hymns that last. The hymns, like a lot of the hymns we talk about on our show, um, they've been written in times like this, like what um like this lady um being near to death. There there are so many hymns that have been written in times of deep trial, in times yeah. where there have yeah. been great pastoral yeah. strains, and they've lasted because their truth and we all face these things at some point in our lives and these songs are you know they last because they resonate with us yeah well Spurgeon's got a he's 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 got a a hymn uh or poem set to music by Selina Countess of Huntingdon she really struggled Mm. with assurance of faith and and the the record of that experience in her hymn Mm. absolutely wonderful and and you know, we, we've talked about death and we've just mentioned assurance, but but joy mm-hmm. and praise um, mm-hmm. or confusion or distress or confidence. Mm-hmm. 
all of those things you you think of the the spiritual kaleidoscope of the psalms and how it it covers the complete range of christian experience or believing experience there are highs and there are lows there mm-hmm. and if you accept that that we can and should write and sing uh hymns new material it's still you know that the truth content of that is demanded by what the new testament says about our sung worship and it can and should again reflect that full range of christian doctrine and the complete range of christian experience yeah i 100 percent agree <laughs> yeah um, for sure but yeah thank you so much for sharing that with us we absolutely will not cut that out unless you want us to because i think that's lovely for others to hear and plus it ends in glory which is one of our favorite (laughs) things about uh the hymns of old and new um is pointing towards that day when we'll be um gloriously reunited with christ um and yeah made new it's also just really encouraging for our listeners to hear you know you're a pastor you've written this hymn you've shared it with us and maybe Mm -hmm. that will encourage some of our listeners particularly uh, pastors and things to start trying to write their yeah. own hymns and to well, I, th- I think yeah. I'm up to about a hundred at the moment so maybe one day I'll write a decent one <laughs> <laughs> we, we're waiting for the Jeremy Walker our own hymnal <laughs> yeah well even Spurgeon didn't put everything he wrote in his he yeah. was wise enough to realize that some of it wasn't so good <laughs> yeah oh, it's the same with all all things that we create. Yeah. But yeah. on that note, um, what is your favorite hymn? Ooh, I don't have one. Question. Uh, oh. now I in, in in part because um it's a bit like asking a preacher, what's your favorite text? Well, <laughs> the, the one I'm about to preach on is typically, <laughs> you know, um I can uh, there's 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 one there's one that I absolutely uh, used to mess me up before I was converted. When I was when I was a child, um, I used to love. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins. Um, absolutely wonderful, and you know the the way that um, Cooper there sets the experience of you know, the, the the dying thief compares himself with that um again you know that this the sweep of of christian experience that the centrality of jesus christ mm. absolutely delightful but what one that i know i sing a lot and i go back to a lot is uh, uh a, a translation of a part of a hymn by a welsh hymn writer called william williams um now william williams was you know the sweet singer of wales really the uh the 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 hymn writer of uh the 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 great 18th century welsh revivals um and he has a a beautiful hymn my understanding is uh i've got a a welsh copy of it and it's several verses long but we typically sing jesus jesus all sufficient beyond telling is thy worth in thy name lie greater treasures than the richest found on earth. It's 
um, such abundance, such abundance is my portion with my God. In thy gracious face, there's beauty far surpassing everything found in all the earth's great wonders mortal eye has ever seen. Rose of Sharon, Rose of Sharon, thou thyself art heaven's delight. It's it's short. Wow. It is so sweet. It is it's. I, I think it's representative of of the best tradition of Christian hymnody. Mm. Those lyrics are so full of just so much goodness as well. Yeah. <laughs> it's yep. great. Yeah, yeah, and it's a uh, you know it's it's a poetic translation. Um, yeah, I, I love I love the story. Um, yeah, Krishna Pal's hymn. Uh, oh, thou my soul, forget no more the friend of all thy misery bore. Let every idol be forgot, but oh, my soul, forget him not. Do you know that one? No, but I need I to. Okay, <laughs> yeah. so so uh, William Carey's fabled first convert, Krishna Pal, uh, wrote a hymn, and he wrote it in his own dialect. Mm. Now, one of, uh, I think it was Marshman, one of Carey's companions, then took it and turned it into what I've just quoted, uh, mm. this sort of classic piece of um uh 18th century 19th century hymnody it's a beautiful hymn oh it's, mm. it's absolutely stunning but when you actually read what pal wrote yeah. marshman has really he, he's turned it into a piece of 18th century english poetry <laughs> he's, he's captured the spirit of it yeah but i yeah. think yeah i can imagine sort of krishna pal scratching his head and going yeah, I, I can see I can see where you got it, but I'm not sure that's exactly what I said. Um, because, you know, Pal has a different heritage. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krishna Pal has a different heritage, and and it's it's a much uh, simpler and more repetitive form. The Marshman piece is stunning in its own right, mm-hmm. um, and it's certainly intended to communicate the sense of Krishna Pal's delight in Christ as his saviour. Um, but again, you know, that, I, I think that's an absolutely stunning piece. Yeah. Uh, oh, there's this, yeah, that's what, how, how, how are you going to make me choose one? That's, <laughs> that's the problem. But, um, I know, I know Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient. That's, um, as, as someone who's, uh, half Welsh, uh, that allows me to sort of tip, tip, tip the head to the, uh, to the heritage there and. Uh, and I think it's it's just wonderfully full of Jesus Christ and is a beautiful expression of the 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 saved sinner's delight in the Savior. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, um, if you guys are listening and you have not heard of any of those hymns, we will definitely have them linked um, in the description so you can check them out. Um, so much more that we could talk to you about and we definitely uh, don't want to keep you, but maybe we could persuade you to come back on at a later date and talk about um, some of these things more fully but we really appreciate you coming on the show and giving us this um, this brief history of Spurgeon and, and what he um, had to offer the church in the way of hymns um, and yeah we just hope to get you back on again oh thank you very much indeed for having me it's been a it's been a pleasure to talk about you know, Spurgeon and his hymns and his hymn book and, and some of these these broader topics. And I hope it's uh, uh, been as much a blessing to, to others as it has been to me. 